0: Thank you. Band, you may be seated. Hey, grab a Bible or your phone, whatever you use. And if you'll notice in your uh, bulletin today, you have two study sheets. Thank you. Two study sheets in a, in a bulletin. Is that a big deal or what? And you're going to be using both of those, so find a pen. There should be one in the pocket in front of you on that chair. But I know you're kind of squeamish about feeling around in the bottom of that pocket, so if you need a pin, we have pins outside, and you're welcome to get those. How many of you are going to the Mountain Fair afterwards? Well, I will see you over there, and there's some t-shirts right back there. You guys got on and got early. Thank you. Uh, you, you know that we've been following Charlie's vision of loving God and loving people, um, and that's all based on Mark 12:30, when a religious scribe asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Now, we know the story, but at that time, this religious scribe really didn't have an idea of what Jesus would say. Maybe he would pick out number 11 or number uh, 3, because there's 10 big ones, and then there's 613 altogether. But Jesus said to him, Steve, we got that up there? In Mark twelve thirty, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the next one, the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Now, now, you're familiar with this passage, but Jesus took two verses from separate parts of the Old Testament and brought them together that had never before been done before Jesus began teaching that way. But how can he validate to say that out of, let's say, just the Ten Commandments, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that you're fulfilling all the commandments? Well, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, you know the first four have to do with God. Loving God, no other gods, don't make idols, don't take his name in vain. The bottom six have to do with people. Uh, Honor your parents. Don't kill, steal, lie, don't have adultery, things like that. Now, if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbors yourself, you're fulfilling those because you're not going to go around killing people or stealing their stuff or lying about them. So in other words, if your focus is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others as yourself, you're going to automatically fulfill All the other commandments. That's what Jesus meant. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So how does that look? How much do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Would you mean uh, 12%? 30? 98? Um, What are you doing... When you're not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, are you, uh, I, th- I believe that we feel like we're sort of in neutral. We, regardless of how much we love God, if we're not loving God, that part of us that's not loving God is just sort of in neutral. It's no big deal. Well, let me show you something. On your study sheet, you've got to follow along because uh, if you do it right, this will be, Uh, focus of your study throughout the week and you'll find that you'll gain from it immensely on the left side of one of your study sheets we're going to make a a big bar like that and this bar is loving god and the top would be a hundred percent that you are loving god heart soul mind and strength with all you got, with all, and, and that would be the level that you're loving God at. But what level do we actually, functionally love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? When well, you think about God occasionally, let's say for definition's sake, and, and during the week what I want you to do is analyze your love for God and sort of try to figure out where you are so you can upgrade it. But we're going to say maybe 30%. Maybe that level where I love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm at 30%. Now, in our world, that'd be a rabid Christian, right? Because of the way our world is, the way people live. Well, if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're at about 30%, what does that mean? How do you love God? Well, you trust God. You worship God. And as you do that, loving God, your identity comes from God. Do you realize whatever your God is, your identity comes from that God? So, in other words, if you're a believer in God through Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose from the grave, sent His Holy Spirit to live in you when you believed in Him, your identity is that of a beloved son or daughter of the God of the universe. Now, that's pretty high status. That identity enables you to be secure. Security... And it also establishes your worth. If God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to give His life for you, then your life is equal to God's estimation of the Son of of God, Jesus Christ. Your value is established by the God that you love. Before you get out of bed in the morning, your identity as a beloved child of God, your value, your worth, your security— Can be set so that when you get out of bed and you go through your life in the world, you've got what you need. You're not looking to the world for your identity or your value or your security. If you go into the world and you say, Hey, am I lovely? Am I worth something? Typically, what does the world say? Are you kidding me? (laughs) No, you're not. If, if your value and security and worth is not set before you get out of bed because of your love of God, then you're on open market the rest of the day. The way people treat you, you go up and down, your portfolio, the medical reports, the way your kids treat you, obey or not obey, it'll just you go up and down. Now, if you're not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what else is going on? Who else? What else? Are you putting in that place of God? Well, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we can put money in the place of God. He said you can't serve God and money. You'll love one and hate the other. So we can, up here, we can make money. can be a false god. In the Old Testament, they actually worshipped um, things that they carved. Out of sticks, are molded, and and we don't do that. And Jesus transitioned to say that an idol is not necessarily an object that you make; it can be what you make of something you're doing in the world. What are some other things that we can make to be like our gods? Any suggestions? I mean, not for you personally. You're speaking for somebody else. No. What's that? Are you serious? <laughs> Golf. Golf. How about work? How many of us get our identity from our job or our position or our security? You're, you're, you can see as we go along here that if you're getting your identity of worth and value of security from anything that's not God, it's going to be shaky, right? I mean, like on the eighth hole, All right, work, uh, recreation. Can you make recreation into the place of a God? Yeah, yeah, you you certainly can. How about sports? Sports teams. Now, if, if Broncos are your team, it's okay. You're not really first place. Okay, after your family. But some people go so far off track as to wear Raider jerseys to church. You know their values are misplaced. So their sports, uh, what else can we put up here? School, education, what else? Status. 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 And a lot, a lot of this is... is how people approve or disapprove of us because of what this is, right? I mean, if I've got a lot of money and a lot of stuff, I expect to have a lot of approval from people. We can also put down here sex. Sex can be—we are in a sensuality, sexual, saturated society that a lot of people have made that their place of orientation. How about how about Alcohol. Or drug addiction? How about food? It can be. How about religion? The guy that Jesus told this to was making religion his God. Now, if any of these are taking the place that the true God should have in your life, what's what's going on? What's your life like? How does it change your life? If your identity is from your work or golf or sports, how is that different than if your identity is from the creator of the universe who loved you? Well, in Paul's writings of Romans 1, you might want to jot this down and look it up later, Romans 1 verse 21, we think if we're not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're kind of neutral. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. But as you're going to see from the writings of Paul, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. In other words, they didn't put him first. They didn't honor God as the creator of the universe, as their source of life. But they became, their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. If God is not in first place of your life, your thinking gets messed up your feelings begin to be disoriented. You begin to want the wrong things and dislike the right things. It gets really confusing. You get off path. Uh, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, birds, animals, and reptiles. Now, we don't worship, you know, wooden frogs anymore. But the image, how many people worship their appearance? Being in shape, being beautiful, being accepted on the basis of appearance. This is very subtle, and that's why it's very important that we do a CSI on how we're doing in loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if we're not... We're into darkness, and in a minute, we'll see how that affects our relationships and the rest of life. Let's just take one of these. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. How do you love God with your mind? You think about God. You exercise your mind um, by reading the Bible, words about God, concepts. But one of the best ways that you can love God with your mind is in your imagination. In your imagination. Because we think in pictures, don't we? I mean, we don't usually think seeing words on a page spelled out. We think of pictures. How are you presently using your imagination? How many people use their imagination to pre-picture bad things happening to them in the future. That's worry, anxiety, fear. If a computer were hooked up to your brain, how much of your thinking and imagination is involved in pre-living disastrous things in the future? That's how we employ our imagination rather than using our imagination in biblical meditation to think on god to think about his majesty his awesomeness another way we use our imagination is let's say for example you have an argument with someone you're walking away what's the video of your mind playing as you walk away from that conversation you're you're replaying the conversation with you winning and telling the other person and putting them in their place or if someone mistreats you you sometimes use your imagination to imagine them having a car wreck or getting cancer or or somehow being punished for how they treated you. We use our imagination to think about how we can get money, win the lottery, greed, lust. You see how little we use our imagination in the pursuit of loving God. And if you will analyze the deployment of your imagination, you can, you can sort out kind of where this God-like activity is going on up here. I heard someone say, worry is like imagining the future without God present. So if you're imagining the future with God present, and you're thinking about some challenge you've got, You can go through that, imagine that, with God caring for you and providing for you. So, loving God first puts these in their place. You see, there's nothing wrong inherently with any of these, right, except golf. I mean, there's nothing really bad uh, in their place. They're fine. I... I think it's, if I were God, I would not have made the world such an attractive place. But, I mean, there's just too much to do and get into, right? It makes it a challenge to put God first and the world second. In 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 15, 1 John 1, 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Everything in the world, the lust or desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So don't love the world like you should be loving God. You can love it in its place. One thing the first service people mentioned was a a family. Oftentimes, family or a family role takes the place that God should occupy. There's nothing wrong with loving family. But if you idolize your children, pressure them because your identity and value depends on how well they do and how they behave, man, you're on a roller coaster. And kids don't take to being pressured to be your God. What do they do? They rebel, resist, or run off, or try to comply. When you're around anything that we treat as God or love, this of the world, it 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 restricts us from loving God. But loving God first opens up the world to be appreciated for what it's worth and we're, and its place. For example, Rebecca and I have realized that neither one of us is God. Now, think about that for a moment. You wouldn't say that about your spouse, but oftentimes we pressure our spouse to provide for us what only God can. Rebecca cannot provide self-worth for me, except appropriate to what God intended. If my self-worth comes from God, my security, my value, uh, being loved, and I'm filled up primarily with what God provides— I can receive from her what God intended for a spouse to provide. I can be grateful for that, not pressuring her to give me more than God intended or for any of those things over there. So let's look a moment. What kind of person does it produce when this is your God? Well, it produces a person who is insecure. If your your, uh, God is money... Then uh, you watch the stock market, you hope you don't lose your job, you hope the rent doesn't go up. There's insecurity, there's fear, fear that you'll lose your job or that something's not going to work right. There's a desperation. If the Lord God is not a person's God, do not get between a person and their God. Because they will run over you. They stay out of the way of people who worship these things. Desperation, there's selfishness. The person who puts God first, who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that person has the identity, the security, the value, and the love. This person is confident, Not in themselves, but in who God is. They are peace at peace. They have love. And they are compassionate. So who do you want to be around? The person who puts the wrong things in God's place, or the person who puts God in the right place of that person's life. So let's draw another bar on the other side. And this is going to be our love people bar. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, just for discussion purposes, we're going to put about 30%, a person who has put God in the right place, let's say 30% of heart, soul, mind, and strength, is going to, relatedly, treat others from that same source or value. How's a person who has this stuff in God's place going to treat Other people, by definition. Well, they're going to use people. They're going to use people to get whatever it is that they placed in God's place. They're going to abuse people and mistreat people who get in their way or won't cooperate with them getting what they want. They're going to judge people you've seen this in if religion is your God, so to speak, or whatever it may be, you judge people who have less of it than you have or who don't follow the rules that you have for your God world. Uh, If you're into sports and watching uh, sports on television and uh, you're dating someone who doesn't care for that, then that's a mark against that person because they don't have the same value that you have. We use, abuse, or judge those people who, when we are operating as our source, not God. We also try to please those people. I know this sounds crazy. We not only use people, we try to please them and get their approval. If you're God, if you're loving as God any of these things, then this has to happen as you relate to people. You can be nice as long as things are going okay, as long as your God is not in jeopardy. But if things begin to get disruptive, you've got to be able to react and respond to people like that. Now, a person who is loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, how are they going to treat other people? Love God, love people. Well, obviously, they're going to love people And they're going to be able to be generous, patient. Isn't it so cool when someone is really just pleasantly patient with you? I mean, that's one of the things in our world that we don't think about a lot. We know it hurts and stings when someone's impatient, right? It just really feels, but when someone's pleasantly patient, Do you realize that's the way a person who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength can project the character of God into their world and relationships? Also, those people can serve others, take care of other people. This opens up a whole world of being able to look at the world not revolving around me and my needs. So I want you to spend just a moment, maybe 30 seconds, asking God, do I have anything in my life that I'm loving more than you? At what level, God, would you say that my functional love for you could be gauged at? How can I increase so that I love you more with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And the key to investigation often lies over here. No one really admits to these being their God, but you look at the way they treat people, it becomes obvious something's God besides the real God. Now take your other sermon study sheet. We're going to draw one more chart. This one looks like a bullseye. Is Ray Cook in here? Do not be shooting an arrow at this. Okay, you guys got that? Pretty simple. This will make sense in a minute. What do you want as the center of your life? Okay, we want God. By the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we want God to be the center of our life. Now, the first ring out from God is me and how I'm affected by what's the center of my life. If God's the center of my life and I'm worshiping Him, I'm loving Him, then I begin to be transformed into a different kind of person, a person characterized by, well, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. Now, the word abide doesn't carry a lot of meaning for us these days, but if you look at the picture of abide, have you ever seen it? Well, of course, you've seen trees all the time. The trunk and then the branches go out right there at that spot where the branch goes out of the trunk what's inside the trunk there's wood and what sap which is nourishment so there's sap going up through the fiber and out into the branch and a fruit tree when it goes out the branch to the end what does it do turns into fruit so that joint right there is what jesus described in the way that you abide with your heart, soul, mind, and strength in him. And when you do that, the nourishment flows through that uh, connection. If you've ever split wood and you come to a knot, what is that knot? It's where the branch hooks into the trunk and it's, it's the hardest and densest part of the tree because the branch has to live growing out of the trunk. So when we live growing out of ...of the trunk, which is God in Christ, we bear fruit of the Spirit. And that's in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You can't stop this if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Your character is changed. You become a loving person. Joy even when circumstances are adverse. Love, joy, peace. Peace in the turmoil. Patience. Have you ever come to the end of your own patience with someone? And you say, you stepped on my last nerve. Wouldn't you love to have patience beyond yourself that comes from God to carry you? So that when we're impatient with people, it disrupts the relationship. So having his peace and his patience... Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Nobody likes being betrayed, and if God's the center of your life, you're faithful to your word in relationships and self control. So when God is the center of your life, and you're spending time of cultivating His presence through reading, through worshiping, messages, growth group, meditation, your imagination, these fruit grow in you, and you become this kind of person. This kind of person be pleasant to be around. In fact, the next rung out is People. When God's in the center, God's character radiates to us. Spouse, kids, parents, co workers, friends, in fact, anyone that you're around very much, if If God's a sinner, you're becoming like this, and those people in that realm receive the benefit of the transformation that's happening deep in your heart as you love God. And then the last circle out are things like money, work, recreation, sports, Um, alcohol, uh, smartphones. In fact, all this stuff over here that can take the place of God in our hearts can have a place in our life in their proper relationship. When God is first, you can enjoy recreation. I know I've hiked the 14ers and I've talked along the way. I've talked with people, and they say, oh, this is my God. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like looking at a painting with the painter standing beside it and saying to the painting, you did a great job. That doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) So when I'm hiking and I'm enjoying the beauty, I sometimes tell people, I say, my dad did that. And they're like, What? Say, yeah, my Heavenly Father. He is so incredibly powerful, majestic, and beautiful. He made all this for our enjoyment. Look, it's in color. It's not black and white. It's beautiful. It's compelling. You see, you can enjoy things, but you do not want to put them in the center of your life. And when you have God as the center, you can enjoy them in their appropriate amounts and in their place. And you can draw back from them when necessary. And there may be seasons where you enjoy vacation, whatever those things are. So look at that for a moment. Let's just take maybe 30 seconds and think about what it would be like if God were the hub, the center of your life. To give you strength to develop these characteristics that reflect to other people and to everything that you do. I encourage you to take your sermon study sheets home um, you can tell, I, I, I appreciate pictures and some kind of a material uh, depiction of what can be very subtle um, factors in our lives. It helps me sort of get my hand around it. And hopefully this week, as you take your sermon study sheet home, you will be looking into who's the hub? How do I move God more into that position as Lord of my life, as the source and the resource for my life? I want this kind of life. I don't want to put the hub of my life on my smartphone. That would be all out of whack, or on money, or work. Only God can be an adequate center of your life. Let's pray. Oh, God. <clears> oh, <throat> God. You you did make a beautiful, enjoyable world. And you did it because you love us. You want us to enjoy it in its place. We pray that we will take stock of our love and place that love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in you, in relationship with you, because you've paid the price that we can relate with you by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we thank you for that in his name. Amen.